Welcome to the Cloud Pod, where the forecast is always cloudy. We talk weekly about all things AWS, Google, and Azure. We are your hosts, Justin, Jonathan, and Peter. Episode 69, recorded on April 22nd, 2020. The Cloud Pod asks, can you hear us now? Hey, Jonathan, how's it going? It's great. I'm so glad it's Friday. <laughs> yes, uh, it's lovely that it's Friday. Uh, we also have uh, Ryan here as usual. Hey, Ryan. Hey, how's it going? Good. Uh, we, we've kind of upgraded you to uh, just featured player here on the show because we've uh, we've been having you join us here during COVID quite a bit. And so we've got you on the website now as a as regular alternate host because uh, Peter is not here tonight. But, uh, you know, you're joining us also when Peter's here. So we thought we'd just yeah. get you added officially as one of our many, many hosts versus uh, saying you're guesting with us every time because you're basically well, I'm here all the time now. Yeah, you're welcome. Now so. you lose guest privileges, though. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just got real. That does mean you also get scored, I guess, now in the lightning round when Peter's yeah. here. So you have that, that to look forward to as well. Makes it more competitive. All right. Well, we have a, a lot of stuff going on this week. Uh, you know, I, I commented a few weeks ago that things were a little slow. Uh, Google and Azure answered back with a ton of features. Uh, so we have a lot to get into. But uh, starting out with some general news, the Amazon Virtual Summit, which we mentioned before, is now available to be registered for. Uh, it'll be on May 13th. Uh, there will be a keynote by uh, Mr. Warner Vogels. Uh, there'll be 35 sessions available. There's be a builder zone and tech demos, skill zones and labs, Ask the Espers, uh, Deep Racer, Startup Loft, Amazon Partners, Resource Center, and Summit Trivia Badges, all available to you, available on eight separate tracks. Uh, they are saying they're going to have 100 to 400 level classes so if you are not an intro newbie to aws there'll be something for you hopefully and it'll go from 9 a.m pacific time to 1 30 p.m pacific time uh, right in the middle of the day for the east coast and in the morning for the west coast so that's very nice tracks are about 30 to 45 minutes long uh, per session and uh, we will probably do predictions for this like we normally do for other big events and uh, like i mentioned warner vogels will be that keynote that we will be doing predictions on so get those thinking caps on for the prediction show in a few weeks that's exciting. Uh, it's it, it'll be interesting to see if they uh, are they holding the announcements for new new product releases, or are they gonna they're going to you know use this to drum up you know excitement around the virtual summit? Like it'll be because it, you know these things are going to change permanently, right? Like mm-hmm. it's very likely a lot of summits will become virtual in the future. Yeah, I suspect that this is kind of a dry run for how reInvent might be this year if they don't uh, get this nipped in the bud soon. Mm, yep. I hope not. I do enjoy the week away from home. <laughs> <laughs> well, we all enjoy that. I mean, I, I have a vacation and I, I was planning to take that week. So I'm hoping that maybe happens, but uh, it's a little dicey right now. So we will, we will see if that actually is going to happen or not. But, uh, you know, again, I still have a lot of stickers to get rid of, which we are still selling on the website uh, to uh, help benefit John Hopkins. So if you are interested in helping them out and want some stickers, uh, I love going to the post office several times a week. <laughs> to drop off envelopes of stickers uh, and they are starting to get to know me by name at the post office now. So, uh, you know, we do enjoy that. Uh, so definitely keep that up if you're interested in supporting the show uh, and really John Hopkins at the end of the day, uh, but uh, support the show with a lovely sticker that you can show off uh, virtually to your colleagues. The uh, DOD watchdog uh, affirms that the Jedi was awarded to Microsoft over Amazon and calls the bias claims unfounded. Uh, the DOD inspector general 
uh, completed his, his investigation and found no evidence that President Donald Trump uh, improperly influenced the War of Jedi. Um, however, they did report that they were not able to fully review the matter because the White House exercised presidential privilege and instructed several DOD witnesses to not answer questions from investigators. Uh, despite that, the DOD officials were not pressured regarding their decision, uh, and they did do some further investigation and found that the two employees uh, who are now employees of AWS, uh, one had some ethics violations while he was with the government, uh, one exercised poor judgment, and they also found a third person who apparently had stock in Azure uh, and Microsoft who uh, should not have uh, been involved in the decision-making process on that either. Uh, so it sounds like there's uh, ethics violations all around. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, they are saying Microsoft is completely okay winning this award. Uh, there is a quote here from Microsoft spokesman uh, Frank Shaw. The inspector general's report makes clear that the DOD established a proper procurement process. It's now apparent that Amazon bid too high a price and is seeking a do-over so it can bid again. As the IG's report indicates, Amazon has proprietary information about Microsoft's bid that it should never have had. At this stage, Amazon is both delaying critical work for the nation's military and trying to undo the mistake it made when it bid a too high a price, uh, which they uh, then followed up with a lovely blog post by their general counsel, John Palmer, uh, who wrote, oh, you know, only, you know, 8,000 words <laughs> about how Amazon uh, basically was uh, trying to break government bidding processes. They have unproprietary information, and frankly, they just bid too high, and Asia beat them on price. Uh, and according to his statement in this article, this, according to the government, is a transparent effort to undercut Microsoft on price now that Amazon has a target at which to aim. The AWS now regrets its price strategy is no reason to allow Amazon a do-over after it gained significant information about its competitor's pricing and now they get to use the currently prevailing information asymmetry to underbid its competitor in an effort to secure the contract. So uh, apparently they're saying shenanigans to the fact that they didn't meet the you know, security requirements or the technical requirements. The pricing was what made them win the deal. I, I got to laugh that it's critical military work, though, when it's taken them like two years to, to actually pick a contractor. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I remember when we, we started the podcast back in episode one, we were like, oh, this Jedi contract will be awarded in no time. Be no big yeah. deal. Then you know, two, two years later, we're still talking about it. So, yeah, yeah really not uh, quite that critical. Maybe yeah. not. I mean, who, uh, who oversees the, uh, the DOD watchdog? <laughs> well, I, I mean, <laughs> Inspector General is from the... Uh, AG's office, I imagine, at some mm. level, and so uh, again, you know, the fact that he reports to again. Exactly. There's yes. a reason why a presidential privilege was uh, called for, which, you know, mm. still, again, it's one of those things where it's like, if you weren't doing something bad, then why are you afraid to have them talk to the person, and just get it cleared completely? Because then you don't, because then even Amazon responded back to Microsoft's letter and said, you know, even the IG said they weren't able to do a full assessment because of presidential privilege. So. It's uh, it's never ending at this point. <laughs> Just makes you look guilty, you know. And it's one of those things like, oh, there was we found no evidence of you know manipulation or pressure. And like, just the statements in the press were enough, you know. Like, you don't want to disappoint your boss, and everyone rolls up to that. So it's. <laughs> You don't, it's just, you know, it calls into question your judgment if, if, and so like, it's just, it's silly to me to think that there was no influence from that. Yeah, there's actually a quote that the IG puts in here. Uh, reports of President Trump's statement about Amazon, ongoing bid protests and lobbying by Jedi Cloud competitors, as well as inaccurate media reports about the Jedi Cloud procurement process, may have created the appearance or perception that the contract award process was not fair or unbiased. <laughs> sure. Okay. Yeah. I believe perception, you. Huh? Okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, that, that fake news got there again. So, they to... didn't cancel the whole thing and award it to Oracle. Oh, that's, that's, <laughs> it could still happen. You never know. I mean, I mean, I guess they have to, as you have to live up to some expectations now, though, right? They they still have to deliver what they said they could deliver. 
And if they yeah. don't, then they they only get the the million dollars, whatever it is, for the, the sort of the entry point for the uh, for the contract, and they'll go out t- for tender again. So, yep, and, and that may happen at some point in the future where they don't mm. get what they need and they go back to bid. So we'll see. Yeah. I do think that because of that, this is this is a good thing for for the cloud providers as a whole, just because it's an it, obvious incentive for Azure to get better and to deliver. And I think that, you know, more competition in the marketplace is always better for the consumers. So that's, you know, always fantastic news. So hopefully, you know, Google gets in that scrap as well, getting a little bit more feature parity with the other two. And then we got a good scrap on our hands. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, moving on to other COVID news, uh, a couple of things that happened this week that are a little interesting. First of all, uh, Verizon uh, is acquiring Zoom rival Blue Jeans for a reported $400 million. Uh, this is a good way of knowing that you failed <laughs> when Verizon buys your, your remnants. Uh, apparently, it had a valuation previously of $500 million and a later raise in 2015 at even higher valuation. So this does look like a bit of a down round uh, and exit for Blue Jeans. Uh, it's still a $400 million exit, though, will provide a substantial return for the $175 million put into the company. Uh, and Verizon stated that the Blue Jeans will deeply integrate into the Verizon's 5G product roadmap uh, and capabilities. Uh, deal is expected to close in second quarter with the founders, key manager, team members, and employees all joining Verizon as part of the transaction. Uh, it was interesting to me on this one because Blue Jeans uh, was pretty popular there for a while. I heard about it quite a bit from my my colleagues and IT friends, and they were saying this thing's amazing. The video quality is great, um, and then Zoom kind of took out took over from them with those people. Even you know five or six years ago, or not even that long now, maybe four years ago. Uh, so it's interesting to see how this has changed, and now this exit for them kind of tells me that maybe they weren't uh, as cutting edge as they were hoping to be. I think they hit a, a scaling limitation or of some sort just because they were the you know the the hot news for a little while, but then they never really settled into that mid market enterprise or small small enterprise market. It was always the super tiny smart up startups that were using them, and so you know browser based. You don't need you know integration in conference rooms, the whole jazz. And so they never really broke past that barrier. And so I I can only assume either they didn't invest there or they just have some sort of limitation that prevents it. I mean, they do have devices for conference rooms now, and they have a couple other things uh, for doing large webinars up to 25,000 people. So that doesn't sound like there's a technology problem as much as maybe just a poor execution on their part. It's interesting for for Verizon, though. I mean, I remember when when 3G became a thing like 14, 15 years ago, and there was a promise of video calling for everybody. And that that almost completely disappeared and got um, replaced by um, like IP-based things like Zoom or uh, or, uh, WhatsApp or Facebook Messenger, that kind of thing. Um, So it's interesting that Verizon are going to deeply integrate this product with their 5G offering. Maybe they're actually going to bring back native video calling to uh, mobiles again. That'd be very interesting. Well, the other big news around COVID is, of course, all the companies that are out there struggling, uh, either laying off employees, furloughing employees, or just planning going out of business, uh, unfortunately, due to the complete dry up of business with the stay-at-home orders across the nation, unless you're in Georgia, uh, which apparently they don't have to do that anymore. Uh, But the, uh, the fact of the matter is, is that Customers were reporting to Bloomberg and to the information last week that uh, Amazon was the only cloud provider who wasn't willing to work with them and partner. And so there was a couple of uh, really inflammatory articles saying, you know, Microsoft and GCP provide some flexibility in their pricing, uh, but Amazon ultimately could lose business in the long run if they aren't flexible with customers that are struggling and have already obtained price concessions or payment deferrals from other suppliers, such as landlords, software, or networking providers. 
Um, so that's, that's kind of interesting. Uh, Amazon then did respond with Andy Jassy uh, in the Bloomberg press uh, saying that Amazon reportedly wants to help with their tel- – wants to help uh, with their telling their customers who are struggling amid the coronavirus pandemic. And uh, the quote here is, in this unprecedented time, you may need to change the way your business is operating. Whether you need to address financial pressure, separate support remote work, ensure business continuity, or scale to meet unusual demands, we are here to support you and help however we can. Uh, so this is definitely their response to this. Uh, they have been highlighting to customers via email and different things, the different ways they can save money with spot instances, reducing capacity, right-sizing, as well as savings plans consumption uh, to help address some of those spending issues. But I think at the end of the day, what customers want is either bill forgiveness or uh, reductions in those fees so they can continue to be successful in the future. I guess if they're using resources uh, on demand and scaling properly, then if they have no customers, then they shouldn't be spending any money in the cloud. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and my kind of take on it is, you know, if if your March bill <laughs> is high, you know, that's before all this kind of goes down play. You already spent the resources. You can't get that. You can't give them back the CPU you consumed for the service. Um, mm-hmm. And then if you want to cut a price cut going forward, that's the beauty of cloud. You scale down, right? You're moving your capacity to be on demand and auto scaled. And if you build your architecture right, then you should be able to save money very quickly by making transitions. And you've seen a lot of uh, companies talk about that in their in their process trying to survive is that they've you know cut back their Amazon spending. They've cut back their resources. They've furloughed their employees. And ultimately, that's saving them money by not having those computing resources running, which is really the beauty of the cloud at the end of the day. So I sort of see Amazon's point on this one where they're like, look, we, we give you with all this capability to save money now. But the reality is we know a lot of enterprise IT shops are struggling with auto scaling. They're struggling getting able to get that right sizing done properly. And I think that's where the rubber isn't quite meeting the road. And that's where customers are struggling right now. Well, no one wants the press of of being the the customer that's going to like gouge you during the you know during a crisis. So I I, I do applaud Amazon for for at least countering this because it's it's not about the mistakes that you make necessarily. It's how you react to those mistakes. And so you know if they do start forgiving you know bills or they do start offering credits and working with customers on introducing that scaling so they can spend less or you know go down to like a, a pilot light type system. You know, that's that's good on them. But, you know, they have to sort of follow through on that as well. I definitely think this coronavirus might change some of our architectural decisions as companies and, and let companies really focus on auto scaling in a big way. I think 2008 was kind of the first the first chance people had to do that to really right size their business workloads uh, to the cloud. But it was still so early for Amazon that I don't think a lot of companies were there. And so now this is the first time really enterprise companies are in that situation where they should be getting that advantage of that elasticity and they're just not getting it. And so that's something companies are going to be investing in the future to help. Well, let's move on to our normal news segments. Uh, Amazon has been busy throwing snowballs in April. Uh, a ton of updates to the beloved snowball devices. Of course, the snowball family consists of snowballs, uh, snowball edge, and the Exabyte scale snowmobile. Um, I personally like the snowmobile hostess cupcakes. They're delicious. I don't know if Amazon makes those. Uh, but these uh, these new updates include uh, the new Snowball Edge uh, with uh, more CPUs, 100 gig networking, and apparently 25% faster. The AWS Ops Hub for Snow Family, which is a new GUI-based tool to simplify the management of Snowball Edge devices, IAM integration for Snowball Edge, and Snowball Edge support for SSM, all available to you. So the uh, the upgrade on the hardware uh, is a f- goes from 24 vCPU to 40 vCPU and 48 gigs of memory to 80 gigs of memory. Uh, and the CPUs have all been up- bumped up to 3.2 gig 
gigahertz. Uh, and you can run instances on those from one vCPU with two gigs of memory all the way up to 16 vCPU and 64 gigs of memory per unit. Uh, you can cluster up to 12 of these devices and hold a petabyte of data uh, all on these Snowball Edges, which is kind of a mini, little mini Amazon cloud in your data center if you need it. I bet they're pissed that they put all this work into building products for, um, for the military and they didn't get the contract. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this is the first thing I read about, you know, first reaction when I read this was, you know, where does, you know, out, Amazon Outpost end and Amazon Snow, uh, you know, Snowball begin. It's it's really quite interesting how much they're investing in here in this. And yeah, maybe it is due to, you know, Jedi or, or but I mean, there's also like just going after the enterprise market right now. Like a lot of people want to migrate and this is a great way yeah, to, you know, get the data out. I mean, I can definitely see quite a few use cases for the Snowball Edge, right? Where if you're taking workloads off-premise, you need to decrypt them, you need to re-encrypt them with S3 encryption, you need to do other type of transformational mappings to object storage. I can see why you might run that all as uh, instances on top of the Snowball Edge, do it all there on demand, and then once it's done, you ship all that stuff back to Amazon, it's all ready to go. So there's lots of of advantages to it. It's a great model. the fact that you can rent these things for, for short periods of time and then just send them back when you, when you don't need them anymore is great. You don't have to buy expensive gear for the data center if you need to temporarily flex up. You can just rent these things and, and then ship them back when you're done. So it's yeah. – You even get that with the, with the Outpost too. That's all rented yeah. as well. You can either pay yeah. for it up front if you want to or you can rent it on a monthly basis. Uh, that's really your choice to do. Uh, but same idea. So the other feature is the uh, Ops Hub for Snow Family, which is that GUI. Uh, it's a utility that you run on your laptop or Windows box. Uh, Mac or Windows is supported. Uh, it's downloaded over the internet and allows you to basically see operations that are happening on the clusters, schedule uh, the different jobs you're trying to run in those instances, and just kind of handle all those things. And then the IAM-based policies to control access to services and resources during the Snow Edge allows you to specify the snow region uh, when making your calls to either IAM, S3, EC2, or STS on the Snowball device. Uh, so all of those commands that you would run in the normal cloud, you can run locally with IAM permissions just like you do uh, in the real cloud. So you're welcome for that. That's pretty nice, too. Yeah. I mean, that's the the IAM edition is a great, great ad just because, you know, typically these workloads are not single tenant, right? You want to – there might be many applications or or many teams working on this migration. And so being able to sort of segment the data and protect the data across those things is – is a huge advantage. So super neat. Continuing uh, Amazon's trend towards building Redshift features to compete with Snowflake, uh, they have announced the new general availability for federated querying. Redshift now enables you to query data across operational databases, your data warehouses, and your data lake. Uh, This allows you to query live data from something like RDS, Aurora, uh, or Redshift or S3. And being able to incorporate live data as part of your BI and reporting applications makes it easier and faster to get that data updated without complicated ETL pipelines uh, and transformations and all other ugly, ugly things you do to get data into a data warehouse. So this is really nice. I'm actually super pumped about this feature. I see a lot of use cases where this is, you know, for real-time analysis or where you're tr- waiting for batch processing jobs to get completed. This is a way to get data to your end users while you need it and then get the data updated into the warehouse for longer term uh, analysis and analytics that you need. Mm, it's cool because it, it's it's making Redshift be the go-to place now for all BI information. But but combine this with the materialized views from a couple of weeks ago, and now now you can sort of pre-process uh, almost serverlessly data from any of these sources. It's it's going to be awesome. 
Yeah. You definitely see a large investment into Redshift, uh, which tells me they're concerned about Snowflake in a big way, though. That's mm. uh, very clear to me that they want Redshift to be much better than it is, and they are investing in big ways to make that happen. So, well, if, if the two years of irritating Snowflake ads on LinkedIn have anything to go by, then it's obviously, it's obviously bothered them. It's a little funny to me, those ads that they do, because they're very highly targeted in LinkedIn towards your employer. You know, hey, Ellie May person or whatever company you're at. Uh, you know, Snowflake can help you do this stuff. And he's like, you know, but I'm already a customer. Why are you still spending so much money advertising to me? It's so ridiculous. I think the same thing about ads in general. Like, I already bought this thing. Stop showing me the same ad. Like, there should be a link that says, please just stop showing me the ad. I already paid for this thing. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, the, uh, the Security Hub has also launched a new API batch update findings call and a new workflow status. Uh, so this allows for integrations with uh, Amazon SSF format, uh, which allows you to integrate CloudWatch events and security events from third-party vendors, SIMs, ticketing, or SOAR tools to basically update the status of your API findings. So one of the challenges with the old batch update is that you could potentially be updating a status while the third-party tools also update the same status and overwrite each other's changes, which is super fun. Uh, so this new batch update findings API addresses those issues uh, and makes it much simpler to deal with the ASFF format. And the workflow status allows you to now see uh, new notified, suppressed, and resolved statuses directly into these messages uh, so you can properly order them into your system. So Security Hub uh, seems to still have some teething pains, I'd say, on this one. They're trying to work through some of those (laughs) data sovereignty problems of who really owns that data and who's important for you. But uh, glad to see that these are getting resolved. This is a pretty rapid change for Security Hub to get this new uh, API in addition to some other APIs they announced a few weeks ago that we talked about here on the show too. Yeah, I, I love seeing like obvious customer feedback come into product release because that's this just screams of like someone tried to implement this and was like, what's going on? And and once figured out, you know, now, you know, and that's how any good product is going to be, you know, made better. So it's awesome. Yeah. Mentioning customer feedback kind of leads us right into the next story, which is uh, a feature only your auditors will really love. <laughs> this is the ability for your uh, track changes to secret stored in Amazon Secrets Manager using AWS Config and AWS Config rules. And so this allows you, when uh, Secrets Manager automatically rotates passwords and security keys, uh, that it'll then get logged properly into Config, and you can fire off Config rules to do notifications or different things. So for all those auditors who are like, well, how do I know you actually rotated that password after 90 days? Uh, you can now point them to these config rules and they can track the history of it and show compliance to that policy uh, without having to dig through a lot of CloudWatch logs, I guess. Uh, you also use to manage Amazon config rules to evaluate whether secrets are configured in compliance with your org security and compliance requirements uh, all available to you. So again, making your auditors happy makes your life easier. Yes, it does. I can speak to that firsthand. <laughs> And then another great auditor feature, although I really like this one, uh, you can now easily identify the responsible party for actions performed using IAM roles. Uh, so AWS IAM now makes it easier to identify who's responsible for an Amazon action performed by an IAM role when viewing Amazon Cloud Trails. And so this allows you to basically specify when using the STS role session name, uh, a policy to allow, make them use their username or role name. So if you have a third party who's potentially accessing your DynamoDB table, for example, uh, they would now have to declare who they are <laughs> versus just the DynamoDB partner role and now say, hey, partner XYZ, use the partner role to go update this pricing at three o'clock. Uh, so you can get that data all through that process now, which is really great because when you're dealing with federated accounts and uh, hundreds of them and roles that may be cross account, uh, being able to track these down to who the process is or individual who did this thing is, uh, can be very, very difficult when all you know is the role in your account, not the role in their account. 
<laughs> yeah. I, one of my old automation woes was uh, reusing a, a shared uh, Python function that set the, the, the session name in the function. And so it became a common, common thing that was used in like a lot of different automations. And so trying to track it down one day, it's like, oh, no, what have I done? <laughs> it could be any one of these things. Yeah. So quickly fix that bug and everything gets unique names now. Nice. And then the uh, final Amazon story for the week, uh, you can now route, uh, move Route 53 domains uh, between Amazon accounts through an API versus a support case, which uh, tells me that finally that number finally reached a point where Amazon support said that we don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> Please write as an API, and now you can transfer these routes, uh, these routes, sorry, these domains uh, between Amazon accounts at ease uh, with a simple API call, which I am super happy about because this was so annoying. <laughs> I don't think it's just a support thing. I think it's um, an organization's thing because it required uh, you to lock the ticket as the root user of the account. And with organizations, mm -hmm. you don't want to have the root account. And so now you can do it using just an IM, a regular IM user that has the right permissions. Yes, that was one of the challenges as well. So you it had to use your root account. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm glad to see this one. This is uh, super helpful and saves me a support case now and talking to my TAM. So, yes. Yep. Well, uh, Google has, uh, like I mentioned, uh, welcome back up and said, uh, we have a bunch of stuff for you. The first one being the all exciting patch management solution. Ooh, uh, VM <laughs> <laughs> Managing patches effectively is a great way to keep your infrastructure up to date and reduce the risk of security vulnerabilities, particularly those pesky uh, SIFs errors and uh, lovely windows uh, tls problems uh, but without the right tools patching can be a daunting and labor-intensive process as i can tell you from my career uh, you can protect reviewing vms against defects and failures with this agent service works on google compute engine windows and linux servers uh, and you can deploy patches via uh, flexible scheduling and advanced patch configuration controls as well as report on them with compliance uh, reporting to know what has been patched and what has not been patched so there you go great feature Will they patch my Docker containers? <laughs> <laughs> no, but they have another service to tell you that your Docker container is not patched. <laughs> I'm, I'm honestly just joking about that, but people have asked. I know, I know, <laughs> I've been asked. Hey everyone, Jonathan here. I just wanted to take a minute to thank the cloud consulting gurus at Foghorn for helping make the cloud pod possible. These folks truly get it. Cloud consulting experts since 2008, they are premier tier partners with AWS, Google Cloud Platform Silver, and Microsoft Azure partners. From multi-cloud to containers to moving full production workloads to the cloud under the tightest compliance, Foghorn's team of full-stack cloud engineers have been there, done that, gotten the t-shirt, and are ready to share their experience with you. If you're in the market for some talent to supplement your team, visit www.fogops.io slash thecloudpod www.fogops.io slash the cloud pod foghorn the promise of cloud delivered well uh patching those docker hosts uh can be a bit tricky and uh one of the ways that you did this with gk in the past was that you would uh basically initiate the upgrade process for your gke nodes and they would basically spin up a new node uh, and basically turn down the you know basically turn down a node and basically move the workloads between those. And so what might happen in some scenarios if you couldn't get a new node, uh, you wouldn't have actually the capacity to spin up your containers, and this might cause some kind of issues. And so a lot of customers who had a large VM workload uh, with containers would basically actually create a whole new pool and then basically use segmentation to basically kill those nodes and kind of move it over to the new pool. Uh, 
Google looked at that and said, hey, this is a great way we can make some more money. And so now they're making this the default method. Uh, And so basically now what they're doing is if you, in the surge mode, basically all upgrades will basically surge up your nodes. So if you have 100 nodes running containers today, they will spin up 100 new container nodes with the new version, and they will systematically move your containers from one side to the other when all 100 nodes are available. Uh, And this can reduce your time to upgrade your cluster from manual methods to uh, less than a day in many, many cases. Surge upgrades will be enabled by default on April 20th, and they will migrate existing node pools later in the year. So if you are looking forward to this fantastic capability to pay double the price for a limited time, uh, (laughs) you can get that on the 20th. Uh, There is a quote here from Faceit, uh, VP of Engineering, Emmanuel Massara. Before surge upgrades, an upgrade of one environment requiring around seven hours to complete, multiplied by a number of environments. We used to spend roughly two weeks upgrading all of Faceit's environments. With the surge upgrades, the entire process takes less than a day, freeing up the team to focus on other tasks. So. Uh, nice. Costs an absolute fortune. Yeah, I'm just waiting for like VMotion for Docker containers. Honestly, between hosts, <laughs> move a running container from one one container host to another. I don't know. Like, come, come I, on, VMware. <laughs> yeah, they they are doubling down on Kubernetes. It might happen. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, you make jokes about the cost on this, but like, as someone who's you know d- doing maintenance, is like I would pay that money every single time to make it over faster. Like, and so mm-hmm. if it's just a short brief period of time we're in paying for that double capacity like so be it well what a terrible scenario where you're in the old model where you know because the the node isn't available or didn't spin up properly now you're out of capacity for containers that may be critical to your business so i get why this is gonna become the new default it's just uh you know there are some cost implications to it to be aware of but yeah. why I, I, the problem for me is not the time it takes the problem is why do you have an issue spinning up new nodes to begin with? Like, why? Why is it unreliable? Why couldn't you get a node when you needed it? It's it's um, it's bizarre that it's not a reliable process to do it the old way, and they have to invent a whole new way. Yeah, I don't know if it's necessarily a new way. Is it's just instead of one at a time and doing a rolling update fashion, doing it in a blast, like having that capacity all done at once. It's, it's just challenges with orchestration, when to do what, and you know, there's depending on your workloads, there's a lot of little finicky details and spinning up a node for, for that hosting. You know, you hear all your security tools don't get installed on the node properly and it can't take active connections. That's a problem. So you got to deal with these things as they come up. Well, of course, one of the, uh, the big challenges right now is everyone working from home. Uh, and so they have a new service here as part of the beyond Corp remote access capability uh, to allow workers struggling to get to CSM, call center apps, software bug trackers, project manager dashboards, and employee portals. Uh, you can now address this with the Beyond Corporate Remote Access cloud solution for zero trust approach. Let's your employees and extended workforce access internal web apps for virtually any device anywhere without a traditional VPN. Uh, this is very similar to Amazon WorkLink, um, although WorkLink is very, very focused on mobile. Uh, this is designed for mobile and non-mobile devices. Uh, so there you go. Super nice proxy capability that's zero touch, uh, zero trust, and low overhead for your employees. So if you're struggling with a VPN that isn't scaling your load, this might be something to check out right away. I love this model. I love, And I can't wait for this to be the new normal for application access um, just because the VPN, is it, it's an older technology. IT shops struggle to keep up with capacity. It's always a nightmare. I never hear anyone who's super happy about their VPN performance when they're having to work from home. And so the more we can get into this model where we're still just as safe when accessing these things and can control that, um, you know, the, the 
you know, we have the, the protections in place and yet not the capacity constraints of a private network. Yeah, who got a text message? It's from, from Jaws and Joey. Joey threw me off. <laughs> well, I, I thought as a professional yeah. podcaster that you would you would have muted the phone. Yeah, so unfortunately, that was my computer making the noise that oh, we're really? recording. <laughs> Damn apples. Yeah, the phone never makes noise. My computer, for some stupid reason, does. I I think it's time that people start getting away from the the thought that VPN means security in general. And I think this is probably moving that direction. You know, you you don't need a VPN to secure things anymore. Yeah, I mean, VPN is is so antiquated and it can't, it doesn't perform well. So, you know, my, I I have gigabit fiber at my house, uh, which I've really enjoyed being working from home all this time. Uh, But, you know, I have on the corporate internet and, you know, VPN and all of a sudden my capacity goes down to, uh, you know, 20 megabits per second. And I'm just like, oh, I can't be on this for very long. It's too slow. Um, <laughs> and I'm not a normal person because I have a gigabit fiber. But if you're thinking about you're on Comcast cable modem where you have a very slow upload speed, like you're getting you know squeezed down even further, which is us awful. So I definitely am glad to see it. And I do hope that uh, Amazon Worklink maybe takes a notes from this and starts getting some of the features these like some of these features too. Uh, because I, I you know I don't know why that's, that service is focused so heavily on mobile right now. I think it could be doing a lot more than mobile. Yeah, it seems like a misplay, like a, a a product guy made a mistake somewhere. But I mean, it's probably a good MVP candidate. Like it's a common problem where, because not only on mobile do you have the problem of having to get people access to the equipment through a VPN on mobile is awful. Uh, but then you also have the form factor. And so being able to take a cup, you know, enterprise application that wasn't designed for mobile uh, experience and be able to get that to you. That's what Worthing's trying to provide to you is kind of a simplified way to do that. Um, so I see why they built that first, but I think there's other capabilities they can empower with Worklink that they haven't done. It's a problem for auditing, though. I mean, the, the, the requirements for – I think the compliance requirements don't keep up with technology. And so while we've got all this new great technology, the compliance requirements still say you must use a VPN, you must do these things, even though there are better solutions now. And so I, I suppose Worklink kind of solves, solves the problem for right now, but we can't completely replace all the old stuff which is why they still have VPNs to the VPC. I mean, some companies will never move to the new model either. <laughs> so, <No. laughs> you know, it, it just depends on the company and the needs of their security requirements. Uh, <laughs> or if you're doing DOD type stuff, you know, you're probably not going to be able to do this. But uh, there are a lot of companies that can take advantage of services like this. Well, one of those uh, industries that may not be able to do this is uh, the healthcare industry. Uh, <laughs> nice segue there. <laughs> yeah, nice. <laughs> the uh, healthcare industry, of course, has been uh, rolling out FUR compatible APIs. That's been a big thing. And Azure, of course, announced theirs a few years ago. Uh, and then, or maybe not that long ago, but uh, Google has, uh, of course, announced a beta version of their FUR API with the Mayo Clinic uh, earlier in the year. They have now made that generally available uh, because every IT person at a healthcare company right now is thinking about you know adopting a new API. <laughs> uh, but you know it is available to them now to make it easier to enable providers to easily act with data using web-friendly REST-based endpoints and health plans to rapidly get up and running with cloud-based uh, FUR servers, providing the capabilities needed to implement, scale, and support interoperability and patient access. Uh, there there's a quote here from the Mayo Clinic. We are in a time where technology needs to work fast, securely, and most importantly, in a way that furthers dedication to our patients. 
Google Cloud's healthcare API accelerates data liquidity among stakeholders and in return will help us better serve our patients. Uh, additional capabilities have also been announced with the new GA uh, capability, or sorry, additional capabilities have been en- enabled uh, as part of this with virtual care and telehealth now through Google Meet and G Suite. Uh, 24-7 self-service support via the rapid response virtual agents uh, launched last week to help organizations with like the University of Penn, uh, Penn provide immediate response to patients. And then, of course, there's available high-demand public health data sets, Google Maps platform for mapping COVID outbreaks, and Google Cloud research credits for researchers, educational institutions, nonprofits, and pharma companies, all available for healthcare this week uh, to help fight COVID in a big way, as, especially as Google and Apple are working on their uh, tracking apps. <laughs> like, I'm sure are going to use a lot of this technology as well. It's kind of creepy. Comfort it is a little tracking. creepy. Yeah. It is a little creepy. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of privacy concerns around contact tracking, but, uh, you know, I don't know what that's going to look like yet. But there's going to have to be some legislation, I think, to make sure that there's laws in place to prevent Apple and Google from using that data for nefarious purposes. Well, I mean, the, the already, companies already have access to our location data because there was a whole scandal last year about, you know, was it T-Mobile? I can't remember who it was now, whatever. The fact that the uh, people who own the cell towers can triangulate our locations and they sell that actively to anybody who got money anybody who wants it yeah it's just obnoxious <laughs> it's also everyone's you know all my alexa devices in my house selling all that information to uh, everyone as well i'm sure you know it's, it's so weird when my wife and i will talk about something we're you know we're doing and all of a sudden i get an advertisement for that thing it's like it's a little too <laughs> a little too on the nose like you know she's been watching a tv show and i just happened to see an ad for a t-shirt for that show uh, like and i'm like there's no way that that's random. <laughs> so, yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe she Googled. Not on my, not on my phone. She, she didn't. Yeah, <laughs> I guess it's, it's by from my IP though. Yeah, it's from my IP. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. It's, yeah. I find somebody in the house Google something, and then I, I Google it and oh, it's a top hit all of a sudden. It's because it goes by IP. Yeah, it's yeah. yeah. And that's why I need a separate network and public IP for myself versus them. Yes. <laughs> 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 Uh, well, an announcement that makes absolutely no sense to me, uh, Cisco, SD-WAN, and Google Cloud have uh, apparently expanded their partnership uh, to help enterprise customers with modern network challenges. Google is expanding their partnership with Cisco to bring the best of Cisco and GCP technologies together with a new turnkey networking solution, Cisco SD-WAN Cloud Hub with Google Cloud. Oh, that's a, that's a mouthful. The uh, tighter integration between Cisco and Google brings an end-to-end network that adapts to application needs and that enables secure and on-demand connectivity from a customer's branch to the edge of the cloud through Google's cloud backbone and to applications running at Google Cloud, a private data center, and other cloud or SaaS application. Uh, SD-WAN Cloud Hub with Google brings a new set of capabilities to the customers, uh, and this is available for you if you apparently use Google's SD-WAN in preview today and generally available sometime in the first half of 2021. So again, I don't really know what this means, but if you use a lot of Cisco SD-WAN, um, you can apparently get better access to Google Cloud. So you're welcome. Great. Next. <laughs> <laughs> you were our only hope, Jonathan. There was no chance I was ever going to understand this. <laughs> I mean, I, th- I think fundamentally, I don't really understand what SD WAN is and what I'm getting with SD WAN. That's so special. Other than I can use more common carriers to connect my enterprise versus MPLS circuits. Like, I get that part of it, but like, there's I have some gaps in my knowledge on SD WAN. I think is what I, yeah. I've learned out of this article. I just want the bits to get to where I want them. That's all. I, that's all I care about. Hopefully, in a speedy manner. Maybe maybe we can get our friends at Aviatrix to uh, tell us why we should care uh, and why this is cool. I'm sure they I'm sure they could tell me. <laughs> Kind of sounds like just a joint marketing 
effort, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, Cisco did buy a pretty popular SD-WAN company, so I, I do believe there is a SD-WAN product. I don't think that's marketing <laughs> or architecture, uh, but you know how that actually gets implemented and how it integrates into Google is still TBD. Google has also released uh, several new features for Spanner. Uh, Spanner, of course, is, Google Cloud, is Google's cloud database to support scalable multi-version databases with relational semantics and a globally distributed and strongly consistent TV service. Uh, and so now they are excited to announce the general availability of Manage Backup and Restore for Spanner. So, you know... That's super exciting. Uh, the feature provides protection against user or app errors that result in logical data corruptions. And you can take consistent on-demand backups of databases in your regional or multi-regional configurations and restore these backups onto the same or different instance of the same configurations. Uh, these backup restores are optimized to reduce the time to first byte uh, so that if you're you know, restoring terabytes of data, you can actually start accessing that data uh, within a few seconds of the restore process. Uh, they also announced several new features uh, for Spanner, including a local emulator now in beta. Uh, which can be used for connectedness testing in an offline environment, providing both the REST and the gRPC API and the SQL layer capabilities. A new query optimizer versioning uh, capability is now generally available. This allows you to basically lock in query plan uh, optimizations based on certain use cases. Uh, you can now use foreign keys as a generally available feature, so you can define referential integrity constraints between columns of different tables, and a new C++ client library for building games, financial services, or any other high-performance needed application. Uh, you can now benefit from their idiomatic C++ client library for Spanner. What a nightmare. I mean, I went through all these hassles with SQL Server, and now, we, now we, they're building the same crap again. I don't know. But how do you launch a product without being able to make a consistent backup of, of your database? <laughs> It's a managed backup now, Jonathan. It's, mm. <laughs> I'm sure you could do a snapshot before it just wasn't managed for you. I wonder the. I wonder if the the real enhancement here is that management layer, because they have closer ties to it. It's more consistent because Spanner's you know cr crossing regions, and so maybe there was inconsistencies and in backups that was observed. And it, it it's funny because I never really thought about it, but I read that release and it just made me cringe. Like, oh no, what was happening before? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you had to remember that when Spanner was first announced, they were they got on stage and they were like, "Spanner is an amazing globally distributed database that's available in one region." <laughs> so uh, I think right. I, I think as it's as it's scaled out, they've started to realize some of these challenges. And so the way they were doing it initially was probably very simple snapshotting technology in one region. And then as they went multi-region, now you have this issue that you know you need to be multi-region aware in those backups, and that becomes more difficult. And so people are probably doing a lot of very complicated sets of scripting and, and different uh, magic to try to make it consistent and asset compliant. And now they're basically Google saying, we're going to do that all for you. You just enable the backup and we'll take care of it for you. I mean, Which if, is what everyone wants. Like, exactly. no one wants to actually do any of that work. Yeah. yeah, but if Google couldn't do it before, then probably the consumer couldn't do it before either. Maybe. I mean, it depends because a lot of times you see these things at Amazon where, you know, you can build all of this stuff in Lambda Spackle, um, and then you know it works. But then they kind of come out with a more higher level service that actually does it for you in a more consistent way, or a better way, or cheaper way, in many cases. And so I think that's what we're seeing here. In this point, is this is a an opportunity for Google to kind of go up the stack a little bit and provide a service that customers were struggling with building themselves. Yeah, maybe, maybe it's only been three years for them to deliver this for Spanner, but DynamoDB was around for a very long time, and and the solution for for backing that thing up was horrendous. It was like building oh, yeah. build these massive like. <laughs> Oh, I forgot about that. The, the data migration oh, yeah. pipelines exactly. to the alternate region. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. it was it was a nightmare. It took them years to actually deliver a solution for backing that thing up. So I, I shouldn't be so so hard. But it also took them years to get us a global table in DynamoDB too. So. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. Well, that's it for Google. Uh, moving to our friends up in Redmond at Azure. I'm not uh, sure they're friends anymore. Uh, you know, they may not be. I don't know. It's hard to say. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, Azure spot support for uh, Azure Kubernetes service is now in preview. Uh, just in time for those companies needing to save that money uh, for COVID-19 economic impacts. Uh, AKS now supports spot instances in preview, enabling significant savings on compute costs for workloads that can tolerate interruptions. This is the perfect scenario, such as batch processing and match machine learning, which often doesn't require guaranteed on-demand compute availability. And in those cases where you may prefer to run workloads only when compute is available at a low, low cost. Uh, but coupled with the cluster autoscaler, evicted compute capacity can often be replaced within minutes, ensuring limited disruption, uh, which tells me that they don't support fleets yet. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, you know, this is early days of uh, of spot instances for Azure. And so do be careful. There are some sharp edges uh, that others have resolved uh, to allow you to make sure that you don't run into problems, particularly uh, our friends over at uh, spot. <laughs> you should talk to them. <laughs> so <laughs> if you want to take advantage of this in a more reliable, more consistent manner, maybe just go talk to spot, which is still a terrible name. I know I'm still I'm still struggling to get used to it. Well, the uh, NBA is apparently tapping Microsoft Azure Cloud to enhance the fans' online experience. Uh, clearly, the NBA doesn't know that there will be no games this year. <laughs> uh, but and neither is Microsoft. Uh, but Microsoft has scored this uh, this big win with the NBA and said it will adopt Azure Cloud to enhance the online experience for its fans. In addition, the NBA will leverage Surface tablets uh, in an unspecified way in the beginning of the league's 20 to 20, uh, 2020 to 2021 season, which is next season. Uh, MS is also, is, uh, Microsoft is also the official artificial intelligence partner and the official cloud and laptop partner for the NBA. Uh, and the services will stream game broadcasts live and on demand, offering a personalized fan experience that tailors the content for each user's preferences. Uh, the quote here from NBA commissioner Adam Silver this partnership with Microsoft will help us redefine the way our fans experience NBA basketball. Our goal working with Microsoft is to create customized content that allows fans, whether they are in NBA arena or watching from anywhere around the world to immerse themselves in all aspects of the game and get directly with our teams and players. Uh, so yeah, that's a, uh, I guess good if they get to play anytime soon. I think what's <laughs> going to really happen is all the players, all the NBA players are going to get Xboxes and they're going to play NBA you know, 2020, whatever it is, on the Xbox, and they will live stream the video games to the viewers. What's with you and Peter on this Xbox live streaming of, of Madden <laughs> and now now NBA live? Like, no one's going to watch that. <laughs> I, I don't else. know if you're right on that. Uh, I think that I mean, desperate yeah. times come from desperate measures. <laughs> I mean... I mean, the draft is, you know, yesterday and today and this weekend. And, you know, there's like a fever for the draft out there. It's the first sports thing that's happened in months. And, uh, you know, people are crazy watching the draft right now. And I'm like, I've never watched the draft. I've never cared to watch the draft. I basically get the text message when my team picks a player. Then I watch the highlights for their college for that player. And I'm done. That's my whole draft experience. So the whole thought of watching a whole draft of a bunch of teams I don't care about uh, seems really boring to me. But, you know, hey, Peter, you knock yourselves out. <laughs> You, you should um, you should browse what's available to watch on Twitch. Oh yeah, there's a ton there's of stuff. So yeah. much stuff. I, I like been trolling people recently, saying I'm gonna like play some old like 1978 video game, an arcade game or something, and live stream me playing Pac-Man or or, some, or Asteroids or some crap like that. But people watch it. That's the crazy thing. Yeah, they do. Yeah. My uh, my kids have watched a lot of Minecraft being played by other people, <laughs> which wow. I just uh, is unbelievable to me because <laughs> I, I can't watch them play and they're my own kids, let alone watching a complete stranger play Minecraft, no matter what cool thing they're building. Yep, I will say I've fallen victim to this just uh, because 
so I'm an avid motorcycle racer fan and due to COVID all the races are canceled. So the racers are playing PlayStation MotoGP <laughs> and they are live streaming it. And instead of broadcasting races, they're, they're doing this and it's, it's all, they're all just gibbering in Italian and Spanish, but it's still something I'm like, I, I love this. I will watch that. Anytime. That's funny. I, 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 I remember watching the, uh, the deep racer, uh, championship at uh, reInvent, you know, on the live stream before the keynote with you guys, and uh, how much we've mercilessly made fun of it. And the guy in the socks running around picking up the robo car and putting it back on the track. And you know what I'm most excited about from the summit is watching that happen. <laughs> yeah, we should totally twitch stream the deep racer. Race. Maybe we should send them some uh, cloudbud socks to to yeah. while they're picking up the races. That'd be awesome. Genius. Genius. Can I can I pay for a sponsorship of the socks of yes, the race car? Yeah. Let's, let's do it. I'll I'll reach out <laughs> and see what I can do. Uh, well, we get back to Azure. Uh, Azure has several security enhancements uh, to Azure Security Center. Uh, Fifteen new features uh, went to preview at Ignite, and they are now making those all generally available. Those include exciting things such as scan container images in Azure Container Registry for vulnerabilities, uh, with over 1.5 million containers being scanned in preview. The Azure Kubernetes threat protection is now generally available to let you identify uh, secure issues, threat protections, and secure score recommendations. The cloud security posture management and secure score are generally available for all services. The custom policies for GA for Azure accounts. Assessment API is GA for metadata and assessment results. And regulatory compliance, dynamic compliance packages, whatever that means, are generally available, uh, which apparently allows you to put compliance packages on top of industry built-in compliance packages so i don't know what that exactly means but someone's exciting uh and then workflow automation with azure logic apps is generally available and advanced integrations with exports of uh, security center recommendations and alerts is generally available so if you're using all those things in preview you now have an sla if you were not using them until they're generally available you now have a bunch of new stuff to integrate anything that makes security easier to use is great if it especially if it does it for you which is built into the platform which a lot of these are right like you know so many products now are are built and on the market to sort of offer this for any cloud and so if you can just have it natively within the product how much easier life is it's, i'm always a fan of that i think it easy would be not having to actually deploy this as a as a service and just have it done automatically well i think this is i think it's built in to their container industry i don't think you deploy this as a consumer yeah, it only gives you a score, uh, and, then the, and the security score is just there that's available to you as, as default. Uh, it's only when you enable things like the, the the dynamic compliance packages or some of the APIs to third party services that's where you get to start paying for different things. Well, that's cool. In that case, I kudos to Microsoft for for delivering this um, yep. integrated the way it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I give Microsoft a lot of crap for Patch Tuesdays. Uh, and that horrible, terrible scenario that still exists, you know, decades later. Uh, but, you know, on the cloud, they've done a lot of really nice security stuff that I, I think is pretty good. I think they're a little bit farther ahead than even Google, uh, which has a lot of really great security stuff as well. Uh, and they're really kicking the crap out of AWS on security features, in my opinion. So it's uh, it is good to see, see some stuff here that I really wish Amazon had in a much better way. So. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, we are moving on to the weekend update edition of Lightning Round, uh, as Peter is not here, and I had enough time to write the jokes. So if you don't like <laughs> jokes, it's all my fault. I apologize. And Ryan, uh, as the new as the new uh, featured host, uh, you are up first uh, for the oh, excellent. Oh, I'm ready. AWS is releasing support for multi-file native backups for SQL Server, meaning I can now stress about finding all 100 files to restore my backup versus just the one. 
AWS Cloud Watch Synthetics now supports monitoring my private endpoints. Wait, what? <laughs> AWS has reduced prices for data transfer out of the Sao Paulo region, meaning that you can now save a Brazilians on data transfer. <laughs> nice. That, that is, the, that is the, the best joke ever. <laughs> yeah, are we scoring this? Because I think that one wins. <laughs> I think Justin wins anyway. So there, is, there is no scoring, and, and we can update lightning round. <laughs> Azure SQL Database Hyperscale now allows you to track changes, allowing me to identify that, yes, you really did drop that table you weren't supposed to. <laughs> and Azure now provides, I can't pronounce that. Infrastructure as a service. What does that even mean, though, in the it's context? Just, it, of basically, that's what they call AMIs or AMIs. <laughs> <laughs> VM images. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Azure now provides VM images for SQL 2019 analytics, making us realize that even Microsoft is trying to save money on the cost of Windows servers. Azure enables advanced integrations with export of security center recommendations and alerts. Wondering when an export became advanced. Azure Monitor for virtual machines is now generally available. I'm looking forward to the Azure Watcher Premium for Azure Monitor for virtual machines in a few months. Proving that AWS loves to beat a dead horse, they've announced 16 additional AWS services authorized at DoD Impact Level 4 for AWS GovCloud regions. Clearly, this does not include the Let It Go service. I'll do you all a service and not sing the song, yeah. like, but I really want to at the core of my being right now. Yeah. <laughs> Just let that go, too, okay? <laughs> do you want to build a snowman? <laughs> Azure migration is now available for Azure government, which means that even the government is going to leverage a terrible lift and shift strategy. For those who hate UIs, telephones, chatbots, etc., you can now call Azure Support API natively to open those tickets. JetBrains ID now has a new integration for CloudWatch logs, so you can now know that you broke production without ever changing Windows. What? Without changing Windows? Oh, okay. Let me do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's too small. You should probably read or make. You can make the font bigger, Jonathan. Here, yeah. hold on. I, let me help I, you I out here. Yeah, yeah. Here, let me let me I, help you I, out. I, I plugged it into the big monitor, so everything shrunk on my screen. I can't reach. Is, is that a little? You want a little bigger, or is that good? I, I can I can make it bigger. There we go. I'm not blind. You you wouldn't be able to know, tell that from the camera angle because it does look like you're <laughs> awfully close. <laughs> um, I'm in the screen. <laughs> I've lost it completely now. You're you're the very first big one here. Amazon Connect. I highlight it. Shift. I know, but it's like, so big, it doesn't fit in my little window that I had. <laughs> oh, <gee. laughs> okay. Now you know how I feel about doing the opening title. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 Pressure. <laughs> Episode 69. <laughs> <laughs> There's only six of these left to go. Can we get through this? <laughs> no. Uh, oh, it's, we're done now. Uh, JetBrains ID now has a new integration for CloudWatch logs, so you can now know you broke production without changing Windows or listening to the screams from the SRE team. Nice. Amazon Redshift introduces support for MFA authentication, which is a super exciting preview for an upcoming outage when you accidentally require MFA by IAM and break all of your apps. Amazon RDS for SQL Server now supports SQL Server analysis services, meaning they are finally giving up on QuickSight. Yay. Give up on QuickSight. Amazon Guard Duty now supports multi-account threat detection via organizations, breaking all the automation everyone just finished making to enable Guard Duty consoles. Too soon. <laughs> <laughs> 
AWS introduces cost categories. Of course, categorizing your cost by stupid product, terrible waste of resources, and this dev team should be fired may be frowned upon by your CFO and CTO. So be careful with those categories. I hadn't thought of that, but now I, I don't know if I can let that go. I think I might have to do that. It's <laughs> <laughs> too fantastic. Amazon Document DB with MongoDB compatibility. I've never got to say that before. I'm so excited. Can now pr- be protected. I'll start again. Damn it. <laughs> the reason why you never got to say it before is because I've always set it up for Peter to say it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I love to troll Peter with it. I know. It's great. It's really hard to say. All right. Try again. This is harder when you stop with a lot of pressure. This is much harder. I have to not look at the camera. <laughs> Amazon Document DB with MongoDB compatibility can now be protected from deletion by AWS CloudFormation, meaning that there is no way to delete with MongoDB compatibility from Document DB. Congratulations. You did well. Yes. Yeah. Young Padawan, you've, you've grown. <laughs> <laughs> Amazon Connect now enables customers to interrupt Amazon Lex chatbots, proving that even the best AI in the world can't stop a human from saying, let me talk to a f***ing person. Yep. You're a bot. I don't care. I still want to talk to the agent. Operator. 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 AWS Cost Explorer right-sizing recommendations are now integrated with AWS Compute Optimizer, resolving the long-running sibling rivalry and still resulting in people ignoring opportunities to save lots of money. I love it. AWS Certificate Manager Private Cert Authority now includes increased certificate issuance rates and limits and support for Amazon S3 buckets, allowing me to realize the dream of GeoCities for S3 with TLS encryption support. GeoCities. Oh, my God. (laughs) That's a blast from the past. And the winner is Justin. No, there's, there's no winner. There's no winner. The winner was really MongoDB with document DB compatibility. Or no, sorry, document DB with MongoDB compatibility. Uh, well, uh, as we like to talk about here, things that are coming up, uh, we did talk about the Amazon Virtual Summit already, so do get that registered for. Uh, if you are curious to know what Docker is going to do at DockerCon this year, considering they sold most of the really cool stuff off to another company, uh, DockerCon Live is uh, coming up on May 28th, and registration is now open for you for that. Uh, that is free uh, and available to you to get registered for and see what they're all going to talk about. And then we had previously talked about all the talks uh, online. That content, uh, that event actually happened last week, and then the content is now available on their YouTube channel, uh, and there's some really, really great content there we will share in a future week uh, when I've had time to actually watch more than three videos. Uh, which, you know, working from home, you think I'd have more time, but I, I really don't, sadly enough. Uh, but uh, definitely check those out if you are curious. Uh, I do know that the Susan Allspa talk on GRC and the cloud and DevOps practices is a highlight uh, that I watched live uh, that I highly recommend. Anything you guys want to share uh, before we head out for the night? I really enjoyed the talk, which uh, completely panned uh, the five whys. Oh, yeah, that was a good one, too. I uh, look forward to talking about that in a, in a future show. Well, Ryan, uh, welcome as our new featured host. <laughs> so yeah. welcome. we'll see you here next week. Unfortunately, now it means you had to be here every week. That's how that. <laughs> All right. Not a problem. Uh, we did. We did add you to the website, though. So you're welcome. You're you're on the website. Yeah. We'll get you on uh, the main I'm, page, too. I just have to reconfigure the columns. And I I've been having some Web page problems as I've been working on moving it around to our uh, our new ALB based load balancer and I've had some problems with our feed I've been trying to get fixed and so I've been distracted but I will get that fixed uh, by the end of next week So, and I look forward to the Justin does a thing that explains how you fix it all 
Oh, it's a, it's going to be a long segment. <laughs> there was a lot of work to be done. Uh, mostly swear words. Uh, <laughs> mostly swear words. Mostly mostly swear words. Yeah, but uh, it's been a, it's been fun. You know, I got to use ALB uh, host based routing header. You know, routing, which is really awesome. Uh, you know, to because one of the challenges with ALB was that before I would have to have one for every website I host, and that was expensive. And so now I don't have to do that. I can have one. Uh, that handles all the traffic, which is super cool. So yeah, we'll talk about all that fun stuff in a future show. All right, guys. Well, have a fantastic weekend uh, as we head off into the lovely day 3,533 of quarantine. <laughs> and, uh, your weekend at home. I hope uh, you enjoy your living rooms and your kitchens. Uh, I'm sure they're lovely. And uh, we'll talk to you next week here on the Cloud Pod. And that is the Weekend Cloud. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Foghorn Consulting and Blumadora. Check out our website, the home of the Cloud Pod, where you can join our newsletter, Slack team, send feedback, or ask questions at thecloudpod.net, or tweet us at hashtag the Cloud Pod.